0: Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again and we are here to break down everything that happened over the last week. In the world of WWE, we will be recapping SmackDown Raw, discussing some news items and a little bit of craziness in our personal lives as well, as there is still plenty of time remaining until WWE Royal Rumble, which is still pretty much a month and a half away. Vintage Chris Vanini, the co-host at these parts, will be along momentarily, but allow the Silver King to kick off this show with a few reminders. First, that right here, at the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. It's all about defies. So please, folks. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, Vintage, Chris Vanini, and the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Head on over to Apple Podcast and Spotify. Leave some five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show, just like we're about to, from Nerm 64 who wrote Perfection with five stars. I came upon this podcast right after WrestleMania. I have been hooked ever since. The coverage of all the major wrestling promotions without the hot takes and without bias drew me in and has kept me listening. The instant analysis is great, but having the foresight and understanding to revisit the analysis and rescore just shows how both of you have an open perspective and are willing to change your star rating based on details you pick up that you might have missed. Keep up the great work. Getting over is perfection. Okay, that's all we need. Uh, Perfection? I'll take it. Perfect 10 right here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Thank you so much, NURM64, for that uh, review on Apple Podcasts and love having you as a listener. Great that you found the show over the last year, really about six months or so but right here, allow us to acknowledge you. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Big acknowledgement right there. Acknowledge. Also, please remember to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. Please also remember. I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well, because for $5 a month or 50 for the entire year, you can become an official, Getting overhead? Just visit buymeacoffee.com/slash-getting-over. Sign up, you will get bonus audio, the fastest five minutes in professional wrestling, instant recaps, basically after Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and AEW Dynamite. You also get exclusive news posts every Friday. Again, buymeacoffee.com/slash-getting-over. And thanks to our Black Friday Cyber Monday promotion, we do have two new official getting overheads. The first, Lewis Feraldi, who signed up for a year. The second, I don't have an exact name, but Moon Salty is what it's going by. Also signed up for an entire year. We greatly appreciate both of your support. We hope you enjoy becoming official getting overheads. And just like we did earlier, we acknowledge you. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Big acknowledgement acknowledge. right there. Acknowledge. All right, Chris, a lot of acknowledgments off the top of today's show. I think you and I need to acknowledge something else as well. We both work in the world of college football primarily. Now, I I certainly have other responsibilities beyond that, but for you, college football is your life. There was a major controversy in the world of college football this past weekend, and I don't know about you, but I received a number of DMs and tweets asking us to discuss that controversy right here on the show. So why don't you go ahead, set it up, provide your perspective, and then I'll come back around with mine.
1: Yeah, we'll be quick on this for people who aren't interested in college football. Sure. But for, for those who didn't know, the college football playoff selected its four teams on Sunday. The, the fourth spot came down to 13-0 Florida State versus 12-1 and Alabama. Florida State lost its starting quarterback Jordan Travis for the season, lost its backup quarterback. To a concussion, and the committee basically said, "We don't think Florida State without its quarterback can win the national championship." So we're going with Alabama, and that is the controversy mm-hmm. that everyone has thoughts on. I uh, I was stunned, really. I did not think the committee would go forward with that and basically ruin Florida State. Uh, and put it all on Jordan Travis and his leg, and, mm-hmm. and that's what they did. Uh, Jordan Travis's tweet that he wished he had broken his leg earlier, so everybody could see how good the team is without him, was heartbreaking. It was gutting. I, I, I was very surprised. If the committee wanted the four best teams for a chance to win the national championship, they got that right. The yeah. semifinals should be the, the semifinal should be a lot of fun. I just don't love the inconsistency and in kind of the doors this opens when you're picking a team based on projections, instead of what they've done, Florida state did nothing wrong. They got left out. And I think there could be some long-term implications of that.
0: So I think the team did nothing wrong. Certainly Jordan Travis did get injured. And I saw that tweet from him. My thought when I saw that was if you hurt your leg earlier, your team would have been nine and four, and this wouldn't even be a conversation. So like, oh, I disagree. But- okay. Like, go ahead. I mean, I I've seen him straight up. I mean, I watched him against Florida, which is my team, obviously in the, final game of the regular season before the conference championship games. I'll I'll speak to the point that you made very simply. If their goal, the committee's goal, is to put the four best teams in the playoff, they did that. They accomplished their goal. It sucks for Florida State that they got screwed. But the mission of the committee is to put the best teams in the playoff based on regular season results. That's what they did. Just because a team went undefeated doesn't necessarily mean that at the end of the season, it is one of those four best teams. Is that shitty? (laughs) Yeah, it sucks. Florida State got screwed. They did. There's no question about it. There's no other way to put it. But the committee also did exactly what its mission states. And I don't have a problem with that. People are up in arms about it. I feel some of it's performative. Honestly, I really do. Look, on CBS Sports, which is where I work, we gave our picks. If we were part of the selection committee, What would our votes have been? And my vote, one through four, and I'd love to hear what yours would have been if you were on the committee, my vote would have been Washington, Michigan, Texas, Alabama. And then I predicted what it would be was Michigan, Washington, Texas, Alabama. And that's what it was. So I'm not surprised. I'm not shocked. And I honestly think the level of outrage, I'm not saying people shouldn't be upset. I think the level of outrage is a little bit ridiculous. The the only thing missing was Greg
1: Sankey going on television with Jim Ross <laughs> to say Florida State screwed Florida State, and, it, and, and then and then uh, yeah. Florida State's AD uh, hand signaling a big SEC with his hands on the way out, as, right? As, as spit. So it uh, it was um, controversial, surprising. The twelve team playoff can't come here soon enough. One other thing I wanted to say about championship sure. weekend. I was at the Big 12 championship game. And if you have watched WWE programming over the last couple of weeks, you knew that there was going to be a WWE presence there. They sponsored the game. They made a game MVP championship belt, and they had a handful of wrestlers there. Among them, Drew McIntyre, Sheamus, Jade Cargill, Undertaker, Michelle McCool, Samantha Irvin, I think that was the group. I was gonna say, and don't you
0: dare leave Samantha out of that group. I was not gonna okay. leave out friend friend of, the, of pod, the show Samantha Irvin. Yes, exactly.
1: And uh, I got there early because I knew they were gonna be down on the field taking photos and stuff, and I wanted to talk to some of them. So I did. Uh, I talked to Sheamus. I asked him how his shoulders doing coming back from that injury. He said he's still working through it. It's been tough. He was kind of exasperated. He actually had lost his voice for whatever reason. But but he said he is uh, working on coming back and and hopes to be back soon. And I also talked to The Undertaker uh, for I asked him about Texas football, the playoff and stuff like that. I asked him about something for a story I'm working on. But I also asked him about CM Punk, because you might remember The Undertaker and CM Punk had a classic WrestleMania match. And I figured I'm here. I'm talking to The Undertaker. CM Punk is the biggest story in wrestling. What does the Undertaker think? So I talked to him, got a question, and we're gonna play it here on the podcast. Lastly, uh, CM Punk coming back. You wrestled him at WrestleMania. What do you think about CM Punk coming back?
0: Uh, I tell you what, that is a uh, you know that is something I, I really learned from Vince a long time ago. Is never slam a door, and uh, you really can't blow up a bridge that much. Um, I was shocked, I, uh, you know, just because there's been so much controversy. Wrapped around him, but in the big scheme of things, if he adds eyes to our product and can keep you know, and and they can keep harmony in the dressing room and everybody, it doesn't even have to be harmony, they just have to coexist and keep putting asses in seats and eyes on on, uh, premium live events. And if he can do that, then hey, it's worth it. Uh, You know, if if there's a headache, uh, then you, you know, I think there's an exit you
1: know, there's
0: an exit plan in place too. Yeah. Bye. Well, I I, undertaker saying premium live events. (laughs) It's so weird. Like just say pay-per-view, man, you're a legend. You don't have to go with the new terms, you know?
1: Yeah, no, but, uh, (laughs) I actually thought that was quite insightful. I I was not expecting that, uh, detailed of an answer from him basically being like, Hey man, I was surprised. I'm going to admit it, but we think there's money to be made. And, uh, if, if he causes a problem, then, you know, you cut bait, but, uh, We'll see. So I I was happy, uh, glad I was able to talk to Taker for a minute. And
0: uh, a very insightful answer, I felt. I do like the picture of Taker, you know, on his couch, feet up, Michelle's next to him drinking a whiskey. It's like, oh, you know, babe, that was a pretty good premium live event that WWE just put on. And like, they're about to turn off the TV and CM Punk shows up and he pops. Like that would be very fun to see like the Undertaker's live reaction to that happening. Mm -hmm. Uh, But no, that was a great question. I'm glad you asked it. Glad we got the opportunity to play it. And for anyone who doesn't work around football games, uh, when you tape uh, interviews on the field in a stadium, especially in a pregame state, you're getting it sounding like that. There's nothing you can do to avoid that. Sound of basically a hair dryer and a large air conditioning unit, especially if it's an indoor stadium, it's constant. It's annoying. It goes away when the game starts because you hear all the you know crowd noise and the field noise and all that. But when you're just there, like that's what it sounds like pregame. A little bit better than that. I cleaned it up or I tried to. It's uh, more muddied on the original uh, you know recording that that Chris sent in. But that's what it is. Point being, uh, really appreciate you getting that. I'm glad everyone got to hear it, and we'll certainly send that out on social media if anyone wants to share it. So yeah, uh, anything else that you want to say before we get into the full wrestling aspect of today's show?
1: I thought the championship belt that they gave to Quinn Ewers, the Texas quarterback and yes. the MVP, was very cool. It was legit. It had straight it had, uh, uh the button snaps on the back. It mm-hmm. wasn't Velcro. Um, heavy duty, legitimate thing. Quinn Ewers didn't quite know what to do with it. Uh, he kind of, he didn't snap it on. He kind of held it behind him when he was trying to hold it up. And he also uh, he was asked, what are you going to do with it? He didn't really know what to do. But I think MVP championship belts are awesome. I thought that was a really cool thing that uh, WWE did in uh, doing that partnership. And they had a WWE logo on the field, by Mm -hmm. the way, if anybody didn't watch the game, which was just kind of mind blowing to see. But uh, yeah, it was fun. I thought it was a fun thing. They did drew a lot of attention and uh, happy to give our listeners that exclusive uh, Undertaker.
0: There are so many football players who are wrestling fans. And it was just so apropos that the first person to win the Big 12 WWE MVP championship was not at all a wrestling fan, had no idea what to do with it. Like, you could just tell, you know, seeing him. He's one of those kids that, like, he just wasn't ever into it. And um, But it was funny seeing Undertaker up there on the podium with him. That was cool. There's a cool video online of Jade and Samantha with Nelly giving him a a championship as mm -hmm. well. And to your point, the Big 12 championship belt, I guess we can call it it's way better than the nfl ones i mean they are they are shoving (laughs) those ugly mfn nfl wwe championship belts down our throats on television and they are awful and then they just come up with this and it's a million times better it's so frustrating to me not that i'd buy one anyway but like at least if you're going to make a product make it look good and and one other thing um undertaker for people who may or may not know
1: huge texas football fan yes so it ended up being perfect that he was the one to give the belt but i asked somebody at the big 12 before the game I said who was going to give out the belt and they said well if texas wins we'll do undertaker for sure <laughs> but if it's somebody else we don't really know yet should we do undertaker because he's the most notable neighbor will he not be happy because texas lost i don't know uh but ultimately texas won so undertaker got to do the horns hook em horns and everything and uh peak fan I mean like look you have Jim Ross at sideline at Oklahoma games all the time Undertaker told me he hadn't been to a Texas game this year because he was busy but he's a huge huge fan and that's just peak Texas football moment right there to have the Undertaker giving you the championship yeah
0: I don't think Undertaker giving that or standing on the podium with Mike Gundy really hits the same way as it does with like the Longhorns and his team so I'm really curious who would have done it maybe Jade Like, that would have been really cool to see her up there doing that. But there you go. So that is our quick digest from our college football slash wrestling lives, Chris. Let's get into the WWE aspect, full WWE aspect of today's show. You know, I thought SmackDown was pretty rough this week. Uh, Some booking decisions straight up pissed me off. And the show just lacked energy and excitement outside of that Randy Orton segment. And then by contrast, huge bounce back Raw on Monday night, after I was real disappointed, they failed to take advantage of that Survivor Series War Games momentum and the CM Punk momentum last week. They had six matches that ended clean. Three of them were bangers, reduced in-ring promos, tremendous storytelling backstage and in front of the crowd. I looked at the clock for the first time, it was 9.47. The show flew by for me on Monday night and it just felt like a return to that Raw we got two weeks ago that I praised so heavily and it's great to see, even after a hiccup, they're right back on track. It was.
1: It was the show, you're right, that went by quickly. I, I did the same thing. I looked at the clock when the main event started. I was like, oh, man, I guess we're we're already here. Okay. And may, maybe part of it was, again, not to get back into college football, but the fact that the you know, regular season is over now, I'm back to like a normal type of work schedule and stuff like that. So I was more freed, paid more attention to the show. I wasn't working on something else. And I thought it was a really solid episode that told the story. And we're in a weird spot now. where like, we don't have a pay-per-view coming up anytime soon. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we're not building towards something. But I thought this did a good job of taking steps forward on a lot of things. And we got a really fun main event out
0: of it. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And even just from an in-ring quality standpoint, Monday night was back to, again, what happened two weeks ago and even three weeks ago before that. They're putting out high quality matches on Raw and they must see something in the ratings trends and stuff because up against Monday Night Football in the past, WWE would not just do long, high quality matches. They wanted to throw so much at the audience that people would find things that they like and then would stick with the show. WWE must have figured out at some point, hey, uh, people are staying for these matches because again, this is the third time in four weeks where that has been the backbone, I would say, of
1: Raw. Yes. And, and to that point, the Monday Night Football comparison is interesting because, you know, they opened this show with Drew and Sami Zayn. You know, it wasn't a CM Punk. It wasn't a Randy Orton who's not on Raw. It wasn't a Cody Rhodes. It, it was again, like, I want to say like an hour or so into the show before we even got a mention of Cody. So I'm, it, it is it has been interesting seeing how they've handled this Monday Night Football season compared to the
0: past. Yeah, there's absolutely no question that a different strategy is being employed, and we will basically discuss exactly that because there is a ton to talk about in WWE on today's show. We have the main event, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the last word all coming up, but we're gonna kick this episode off as we always do by sliding into the main event. This is the main event. Now, this entire main event is gonna focus on an extended storyline from Raw on Monday night. And then, of course, we'll talk about the rest of Raw plus SmackDown in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. So Drew McIntyre opened the show real sarcastic about being able to leave the company, come back, and get instantly forgiven. Fans immediately chanted CM Punk, knowing who he was referring to. Then he sarcastically recapped everything that happened last week and how Jay Uso apologized to Randy Orton, saying his time is coming. McIntyre told Sami Zayn they're nothing alike because... He deserved to get screwed over by the bloodline for being a part of it. Zayn agreed they're not alike because he's not delusional, doesn't blame others for his mistakes and stayed motivated getting redemption over the bloodline at WrestleMania. Sammy asked if Drew's family was proud of him and McIntyre demanded they ring the bell and fight immediately. Loved the way that this was designed with their match not supposed to happen until later, but animosity in the moment forcing it to happen immediately. McIntyre and Kevin Owens, remain the most intriguing characters in WWE because both of them just spit facts in complete continuity with storylines, not just present, but past as well. It's almost like they're the same guy at opposite ends of the babyface heel spectrum right now. You couldn't really argue with anything Drew said, particularly when it came to Jay apologizing to Randy, but not apologizing to him. And now seeing this tweener we think still in this moment, come out against CM Punk after babyface champion Seth Rollins came out against him last week. It kind of makes those sides clear. I thought it was a real enjoyable open to the show and a great stage setter for the rest of the three hours of Raw.
1: You know, I always get concerned that wrestlers talk in too much sarcasm and Drew starting off with that had me thinking about that, but he turned it around and he got serious again and he was just speaking truth like he continues to be right about everything even the CM Punk stuff he said like Mm -hmm. there's truth in everything he's saying and that's what makes his character so interesting I I do wonder how much longer you can carry this because like we said he already beat Jey Uso before war games and and then in this show we're getting the Sami Zayn match you know like like it, it was we were thinking how long can they drag this out is this a Wrestlemania match? no, we're just doing the match now here. So it's interesting how they're just kind of going forward and and doing the stuff. And that makes it compelling and doesn't feel like it's being
0: dragged out. It stands in pretty stark contrast to what his character was previously, where he had issues and he let them simmer and he went along with what the babyface wanted to do, whether it was teaming up, whether it was going after some heels, whatever the case. Now he's reached the end of that. He's at the point of, I don't give an F anymore. Like it's just time to go. And, And that is exactly what we got in that opening segment, and then in the opening match, which was Zane against McIntyre. So Sammy sold a leg injury early, but Dodge Drew into the post and hit a tornado DDT. McIntyre came back with two toss, belly-to-belly suplexes, and got booed. That distracted him. He was angry that the crowd was against him. Then Sammy flung himself over the top rope, only to get caught and tossed over the announce table. McIntyre crushed him back inside with a spine buster and a deadlift liger bomb. Zane countered an avalanche white noise attempt into a sunset flip powerbomb. McIntyre answered with Glasgow kiss, but Sammy countered Claymore with a kick and hit blue Thunderbomb for a false finish. Zane hurt his knee again, leaping over McIntyre and gave up trying to run the ropes. Drew saw the injury, and he made a conscious decision to take out the knee before hitting Claymore and getting the win. After the bell, he forced the referee to raise his hand on his time. And then backstage immediately after the match, McIntyre attacked Zane while he was meeting with a trainer getting his knee checked out. He was screaming about Sammy bringing it on himself for talking about his family and getting in his way. He ended it by directly stomping Zane's injured knee. And then Sammy screamed, and Adam Pierce ran in and forced everyone away and kicked McIntyre out of the arena. So this was an excellent match that obviously slowed in the finish due to the storyline but there was perfect camera work from WWE showing McIntyre crouched outside behind Zane, going through the thought process as he actively decided, you know what? No, I don't have any remorse from this guy. I'm going to take him out. And he took out the knee. And then you've got the post-match with the referee and the backstage attack. It reinforced that, look, he might think of himself as this Tweener guy, this guy who's motivated by all the right things, even if he has to go about it in the wrong way. But he is a pure heel now, full stop. Despite whatever logic he's trying to use to justify his actions, he's a piece of shit. He is now that comic book villain who may feel like they're justified in their actions and may have some legitimacy to those claims, but is nevertheless a bad guy going about it all wrong. This is the type of high quality TV match, again, that I praised two weeks ago, but we didn't get on last week's episode. And this is the type of high quality storytelling that was missing when WWE had an opportunity to strike while the iron was hot, but failed after Survivor Series. This was a super strong start to the show. I went 4.25 stars A for this match. And if you can't tell already, I just loved the opening to Raw.
1: Yeah, that's the difference between uh, a bad guy who saying he's in the right and is in the right but then they take it too far. And that's when you make the distinction that this person is a villain. They're a bad guy. They may have had some points at some point, but that's not, you know, that is why they are a villain at this point. Also seeing Drew McIntyre in person at the football game on Saturday. He's, and you could kind of see it during his promo too. He's legit got a scar there from headbutting the belt and mm-hmm. Seth Rollins last week. So, uh, Uh, That was, I mean, we knew he did it hard way, but uh, you can see it the next week. So this was great. I love what you said about the camera work. And yeah, Drew McIntyre continues to be on for like months now. He has been like the most interesting person on the show and he's killing it. And that's
0: great. I'll tell you one thing about McIntyre, Chris. If there is actually any concern between him and WWE working out a contract extension, Triple H sure as shit ain't showing it the way Drew is being booked these days. This is by far the best character work that he's done over the last couple of years, and not just on TV, but his social media game and the way they are fully selling his heel turn and the overall character. I mean, storming out of Survivor Series and basically not telling anyone in the media, making them think that's legitimate. And all of his tweets about like there was a Survivor Series, not a Survivor Series, a Royal Rumble poster that was created. McIntyre is not even on it. I don't think this was on purpose, but the big 12 championship game, the picture that they all took, he was standing at the end. Everyone else was kind of closer to the middle. That, you know, is a bigger star like he is. So like, it's one thing after another where he's finding all these individual ways, including the Jace part of the storyline, to say, hey, I am being wronged here. I am not being treated right. And it works immensely well. So either WWE is all in with him on screen and behind the scenes or they're really freaking dumb and they're setting this guy up to be a massive star somewhere else if his contract expires. That, I highly doubt it's the latter. That's that's why this is so good.
1: Because it feels like CM Punk coming up at the end of his contracts type of thing back in 2011 or whatever that was. Where it's like, are there really is there real heat here or is there not? And it's mm-hmm. blending together and that's the best stuff. That Royal Rumble poster, if anybody hasn't seen it, it's just like a a massive circle of everybody's faces. I think it's a great poster, by the way. Solid, really solid job on that. I didn't even realize Drew wasn't on there until he tweeted about it. Mm -hmm. I looked and I was like, oh, how about that? So I'm guessing that was all planned, but it's these little things that are making his character
0: uh, extremely compelling. I will say I looked at that poster and I was like, who do you take off to put Drew on? And it wasn't immensely clear. Like, it wasn't immediately clear of who's the person that you removed from that poster. There's a lot of people on the poster. I, I know. You but you want people. men, women. You want diversity. Like, you want the champions. It, You know, it wasn't... I looked at it, and I was like, who do you take off here? You're not, you're not taking L.A. Knight off, right? You're not taking CM Punk off or Seth Rollins. So, like, that's the process I went through um, for that. But regardless, I wanted to make that statement about Drew. I thought that was very interesting as we're kind of discussing him and discussing the storyline. So let's keep going. Jay Uso got a legitimately cool promo package, went over his recent past, including getting screwed by his brother at SummerSlam and how life started with just him. Technically untrue. He's a twin. So he's he keeps doing this something, thing. It's just me, Uso. No, it's never been just you because you literally have a twin brother, but I digress. Uh, Cody Rhodes, he said, convinced him that he can make it on his own. He was focused on proving that it's still just him, and he deserves to be called main event Jay Uso by achieving his dream and winning the World Heavyweight Championship. Jay also checked on Sammy after that aforementioned attack, and later told Pierce he would take care of McIntyre if needed while he was getting juiced up for his title match. The presentation was spot on, and it took a main event that, for me, coming in was largely a shrug, because you knew how it was going to end. You knew Rollins was going to retain the title, but it made it a must-watch for me, just this package. That's how you define yeah. success. When it comes to creating a production element like that, it was exceptionally well done. Yeah, really good package. Like just regardless of the
1: championship match, it was a, it was a real call back to who is Jay Uso, you know, outside of the Uso's. Let like let, let's tell you his story post Bloodline. What what is Jay about? And I got you connected to that as as a viewer. So that was really good. The only thing I didn't like about that, you mentioned Pierce and Jay backstage talking about Sammy stuff. Pierce Pierce said to Jay something like, "You don't need to be worrying about that because this is the biggest match of your night, biggest match of your career, biggest night of your career." To which I was like, "No, it's not. He he main evented SummerSlam against Roman Reigns a few months ago. That was the biggest night. That was a that was a bit of an oversell." Well, hold on. He main evented
0: WrestleMania with his brother, and then he main evented SummerSlam against his cousin. So yes, both, there were two things that are equal to or bigger than this, yeah. Yes. For sure, random item here, but did you notice during this video, the yeet on Jay's shirt was blurred out? I did not. So the only way that makes sense is if there's some kind of trademark issue, and that would be a total shame because it's a fun gimmick that they've got going on with him, the crowd loves it, and the shirt, I know for a fact, was selling extremely well, I'm going to be very yep. curious to keep my eye on WWE shop. Number one, it is still there, but my curiosity is going to be, does it start selling out? And if it does, and they don't keep making new ones, then that's telling you that they're not going to be going with that long term.
1: I didn't think about that. I did. Cause I guess Jay wasn't wearing it, but I did see a lot of people in the crowd wearing it.
0: Cause it's a great so. shirt. It's, it's not just a cool, like cause it's eat and it's fun, but it looks good. White. It has it does, the blue. It doesn't
1: look like a, it doesn't look like a wrestling shirt. Right. It, it has like the palm like trees on it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a cool looking shirt. Anyway, uh, look, there were no additional CM Punk appearances this week, meaning the last two shows that we're covering here. But WWE did air a video package of his in-ring promo from last Monday on both shows. And I got to tell you, the way they produced and edited this together, it made it like more impactful than the original promo. I don't know if you caught that, but It was something about the way it was positioned. It came across way edgier than what he actually delivered last Monday. On top of that, Michael Cole announced while on commentary that Punk is a free agent in WWE. And then later on Raw, Pierce respectfully informed Seth Rollins backstage that he invited Punk to Raw next week and intended to sign him to an exclusive contract. Rollins said he didn't care as long as Pierce understood that Punk would eventually show his true colors, it would blow up in Pierce's face, and Rollins would have to handle it his way. And Pierce said, you know what? If that happens, go for it. Rollins then put over Jay when he approached, telling Seth that it was his night to become the new champion. Rollins immediately got contentious with that, and they stared down each other. They did a fist bump, and that was really the only friendly gesture they had between each other before the bell. It seems obvious, Chris, that Punk is going to wind up on Raw, given that Three superstars now have mentioned or directly alluded to him over the last two weeks, and the slow burn with Rollins is working well, with Seth clearly bothered by the guy, yet trying to pretend he's above it all, and that it's not going to affect him or his title reign. This also proves that Punk's return promo last week was disingenuous on purpose, as we speculated. I just thought between the edited video, the backstage segment, they did a solid job Monday to work Punk into the show despite his absence, and he will be on SmackDown and Raw each of the next two shows this coming week.
1: Yeah, it's clear he'll be on Raw also because of the big superstar who is now on SmackDown, which we'll get to. So uh, my thought on the promo video package was that when a lot of hardcore wrestling fans think about CM Punk, they think about the pipe bomb, they think about the money in the bank and, and, and that type of stuff. But Punk... Had a had a solid reign as a baby face, especially his last couple of years in the company and fans like he can't be the rebel against the authority voice of the voiceless type of guy. He has to like edgy type of guy. Mm-hmm. He was a baby face when he left. And that's what he is when he's back. And he has that ability to get the crowd behind him just on his charisma alone and not you know i'm changing wrestling and doing all that stuff so i I think there's a good chunk of cm punk's career that we don't talk about as much Mm -hmm. and them going through that video package and editing it the way they did of the promo felt like that again it felt like a cm punk promo from like 2012 2013 type of thing so yeah it'll be interesting how it comes back, I, I, I would love to see CM Punk on every episode of Raw and SmackDown because he's entertaining, and it's it's disappointing when you go. Uh, he's only on one of three shows post Survivor Series. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, we're going to get him two straight this coming weekend. So I'm curious to see where it goes, but it's very clear it's going to be Rollins and CM Punk at some point, and he's going to end up on Raw.
0: Right. The question is, is that going to be Royal Rumble or is that going to be WrestleMania? In it? Feels like it might be WrestleMania, but it also could be both, because we know that WWE has no problem doing back-to-back matches or trilogies. I mean, they could do three. They could do it at Perth. You know what I mean? They could just do three in four months. It's it's not out of the realm of possibility. But to your point, you know, the CM Punk that has returned to WWE is number one, not the CM Punk who left. It's also not the CM Punk who was in AEW, because that is not the same character. That character was. Anti WWE, the rebel who left and who stayed away but is now coming back because he wants to save wrestling and he wants to improve AEW and he wants to shit on WWE. That's not the guy they're getting in WWE, nor should it be really. And there is the NDA to consider things that he can't say about his former employer, but also that WWE probably doesn't want him to say about his former employer. Number one, because it's not what they're about these days. And number two, because they don't like recognizing the clear, distant number two. In the industry, and nor should they on television. Nor should they mention it. He, he so, also
1: he also may legally not be able to say anything. I
0: either. just said that with the Wait. NDA, yeah. So yeah, yeah. So there's there's every reason in the world for this punk to be different, but that does not mean that the CM Punk in WWE cannot be edgy and cannot be controversial. Those are all things that are absolutely possible. And I think what the edit of this video accomplished was showing that side of him. It eliminated some of the meandering baby face, pandering, I'm back, I'm happy to be home type of stuff. And it, it focused, didn't, it
1: didn't it, I was surprised it didn't include the comment about the Nashville Predators.
0: <laughs> right. The hockey stuff that he forces into all the all of his promos. And it focused in on the end of the promo, the part that was actually juicy. And I don't even remember, honestly, if the video package included the off mic, you know, I, I'm not here for friends, th- I'm here for money. I don't think it did. I don't think it did. And I think that was supposed to be a wink to everyone watching at home that, yeah, I'm not a good guy like I'm portraying myself as right now. So I just thought it was really successful what they did uh, with that video package. And yeah, we can kind of move on to the main event of the main event, which was the World Heavyweight Championship match, Seth Rollins against Jay Uso. So this was the final thing on the show. There was a ton of time left. And Cole explained it was actually 14 years to the day of Umaga's death. So Jay dedicated the match to him I didn't realize that coming in, so that was pretty cool. Yeah. Jay countered out of a barricade bomb with a ringside DDT. The crowd yeeted with every single one of his strikes, yet did not boo Rollins when he retaliated. They did briefly chant CM Punk at one point, but it went away really fast. Rollins had a frog splash. Jay came back with super kicks and the Uso splash for a false finish. Seth came back with the superplex and Falconero combo, plus a pedigree for two near falls. Jay then dodged a stomp, immediately countering with the spear for another false finish. Rollins came back with a buckle bomb, but Jay immediately rebounded out of the corner with a spear and hit another Uso splash for another false finish. Jay super kicked Rollins on his knees, but Seth countered the spear into a pedigree midair and hit the stomp for the 1-2-3 to retain the title in 24 minutes. Rollins immediately lifted Jay and dapped him up, but when Jay went outside to like gather himself and go backstage, McIntyre hopped over the barricade, immediately hit him with a claymore. Rollins tried to help. He's like, all right, I'll just tope suicida, Drew. I'll catch him blind. Drew caught him clean and then tossed him clear, I think, over the announce table. Or no, he tossed him ringside with a belly-to-belly suplex. And then he suplexed Jay through the announce table, screaming, the truth will set you free to end Raw. And I couldn't help but like wish our truth like popped up in the background right there when he said that. That would have been really funny. Uh, but that was how Raw ended. So first of all, this was a superb match. I was a bit surprised they went as far as they did in the finishing sequence in making Rollins look strong, which of course is fine. He is the champion. They made it seem like the Uso Splash and the Spear are simply ineffective, even in combination. If he's not going down with that combo, which is Jay's finisher plus Roman's finisher, then what's it gonna take to beat Rollins? And if you're listening to this right now and you just said to yourself, well, a GTS, then damn you to hell, okay? The positive is that they protected the stomp and they protected Jay with him taking the pedigree into the finisher. So he looks strong in defeat, even if his own finisher was devalued and diminished based on the way this was booked. Best of all is that, you know, two years ago, Chris, this exact same match, Let's clarify, this match probably would not have happened two years ago, but if it did, this same match would have ended with a McIntyre disqualification, and that's it. That's what I was waiting for. I was
1: expecting that.
0: They paid off a 24-plus minute investment of the audience by giving us a clean finish, and yet we still got the storyline aspect at the end. That is the clear difference between Triple H's WWE, and Vince McMahon's WWE. And the segment, the match, and the post-match were all better because it was allowed to finish. Drew is now a full, unabated heel. Jay is massively sympathetic. And McIntyre has ready-made feuds with both of them individually. Not only that, there are myriad directions WWE can go, including McIntyre actually winning the title leading to the Sami match that we theorized for WrestleMania. It sure as hell seems like the setup here, for me, it feels like McIntyre is going to win the title at some point. I went 4.5 stars and an A for just for the match. This was a great conclusion to a hugely improved Raw. And I think it was one of the best TV matches of the entire year. To, to that point, and to, to kind of what I said at the
1: beginning too, it's they're telling you something, they're setting up something, and then they're paying it off, you know, like within a week or two. It, it, it's not being It's not being dragged out disqualification I just assumed all right I'm waiting for McIntyre to interfere and it didn't happen and Rollins won clean I was like whoa okay like that that it made me feel like I didn't expect to feel like the investment of my time uh would have been paid off but it was so that was welcome match was great obviously but there were two things at the end that bothered me you kind of alluded to it a little bit the, not only I, I think it was the spear and splash or whatever it was mm-hmm. and Rollins kicks out, but Rollins kicked out like eyes wide open, like with the way the camera was set. You could just see him completely looking at the referee, knowing he has to kick out because it was it was like the hot moment. That was Jay's biggest chance to win. But you see Rollins on his back. Eyes wide open, looking for the referee, so he kicks out at two. So like, ah, that that false finish didn't get me as much as I think it was Agreed. supposed to. Agreed. And it did, it did completely get the crowd. It totally worked for them. Crowd was super into it. I just as a viewer, the camera angle, mm-hmm. you could kind of see it. And then another camera angle, the finish. Jay, Sup- Rollins is down on his knees. Jay super kicks him, and then Rollins stands up, which leads into the pedigree finish and the stop mm-hmm. and I was like wait wait a minute <laughs> why is Rollins standing up after a super kick like that was
0: it was like AEW type of booking there uh, they, they posted, did that with just the just buckle bomb also streaming. when he bounced yeah. off the corner with the, the buckle bomb with the spear I didn't love either of those and you know what you're yeah. actually making me rethink my grade a little bit by pointing those out I'm gonna have to rewatch. I may, it, it, I may drop this a quarter star And it's just because it was the finish. Yeah, like I
1: remember I'm watching it and he gets super. I'm like, wait, why is he standing up now? And then boom, boom, boom. And it's the finish. And look, look, maybe, you know, maybe they were short on time. They had to wrap it up and that's just where they were. It's, it's possible. No, no, I, mean, those, I think that was the
0: plan. I think it was the plan for it to be that way.
1: I'm just, if they had to rush it, I'm saying. Oh, it, oh, is oh, my oh. thought. But because you had to get McIntyre in there and stuff like that. So I, I don't know. But it it was, uh, it did take away a little bit because it was the finish to what was a really, really good match. Two of the biggest moments were just kind of uh, kayfabe breaking a little mm-hmm. bit where, I, where I, I went, wait, why is that happening?
0: How do you feel about McIntyre in this heel role and his chances of, actually beating Rollins and taking the title. I think it makes
1: all the sense in the world because if we're getting to Rollins, CM Punk, you don't need and probably don't want
0: yes, a title correct. for exactly.
1: it. Especially with what happened in AEW, don't put a title on CM Punk anytime soon right? because you never know what's going to happen to it or if he's going to get hurt. Uh, so and McIntyre has always been the person to make the most sense. Um, I just wonder kind of, they they told a really good story going into Crown Jewel. Like, that was the story to tell. I guess you just kind of do it again, where it's Drew McIntyre saying, hey, I was at the top, COVID happened, and I never got my shot again, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. You take the title off of Rollins at Rumble, maybe? Uh,
0: I, I think that'd make all the sense in the world. It's always better having heel champions going into WrestleMania. Yes. And that would be a great opportunity. And yeah, you have Damian Priest, but it just feels like, don't forget, there's many months between WrestleMania and the end of his Money in the Bank contract. So you can wait. Like you could just, for example, you could have Drew McIntyre, you know, win here at, let's say Royal Rumble, take the title off Rollins, go into WrestleMania, have Sami Zayn beat McIntyre for the title at WrestleMania, and then have Damian Priest cash in in May. And now Damian Priest is the heel champion. You've gone baby face heel, baby face heel. Like it's very possible. And I think it would be intriguing for the audience and Sammy, again, we want him to get that huge babyface championship win and be super over. And at WrestleMania, there's really no better spot for them to do that than there. And we also, again, I, I, as I mentioned earlier, they gave us the continuation of the McIntyre Zane feud. We didn't just get the match, we got the post match attack. Sammy gets injured, could win the Royal Rumble, challenge Drew after he wins the title. Like it's pretty set up for them to do that right now. And it just feels like they might be going in that direction. And again, like you just said, Rollins dropping the title and doing the punk program without a championship is by far the best case scenario if they go in that direction. In this match, Chris, was this for you another situation where, like, look, we like Rollins as champion. We recognize he's doing a good job. He's defended the title against a ton of people that we really like. But was this a situation where he defended the title against one of those people? And they teased that person actually beating him. And you felt like, you know, it'd be a lot more interesting if they actually changed the title here. Because even though I knew Jay wasn't winning, just like I hoped but had a feeling Finn Balor wasn't winning and hoped but had a feeling that Shinsuke Nakamura wasn't winning.
1: I thought Finn Balor was winning.
0: Well, I mean, I, we, I hoped in every hope that he would, but of course didn't. I felt that way with Jay on Monday And I certainly feel that way now with McIntyre as well. And it's nothing against Rollins, who I think is unfairly criticized by some for his booking and the length of the reign. It's a new title. They're still establishing it. There's no harm in having a long reign. I get what they're doing. And Rollins was long overdue for a significant title reign, but they keep putting him up against people that I'm more interested in seeing holding the title than him. Balor, Nakamura, Jay, Drew McIntyre. In fact, the only person who I don't only two people who I don't want to see hold the title instead of Rollins are CM Punk and Damian priest. And it's nothing against priest. It's just, I don't necessarily want him to beat Rollins for it before WrestleMania. Well, I think we got that sense from the
1: crowd as well. They were behind Jay in this. And in part of that, you know, part of that's they like Jay. Part of that is, Hey, we'd love to see a title change. You know, So I, I think that all makes sense. I I was that's why I was kind of surprised that like Jay lost to McIntyre a couple weeks ago clean right he lost to Rollins here clean he's not going to be in that title picture now for a while or at least he shouldn't be shouldn't least, be. I mean that's a that's what Drew McIntyre's point was you know <laughs> it was it was that I beat him so yeah he
0: shouldn't have gotten this match at all I mean
1: right in kayfabe so. So, yeah, I, I think people are wanting to see a change because people like to see a title change. And it's hasn't been that long since Rollins has had the belt, although he's probably the shortest, second shortest reign in the company right now behind ahead of Logan Paul. That might be it
0: um, in um, terms it was, of you mean in terms of men's singles champions. Yeah. In terms of men's singles champions. Yes.
1: No, in terms of. EO e- e was at SummerSlam. Women's tag so team
0: is uh yeah. short EO shorter. She was at Summerslam, like you yeah,
1: said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking yeah. singles. So yeah, yep. so it's it's like it's not long in the grand scheme of things, but yeah, we're kind of waiting for something to change here. And and there's a lot of people who want a piece of Rollins, and I think that's what's made it interesting. You've had Damian Priest, Drew McIntyre, the Jey Uso match, now CM Punk. And and so it's it has stayed interesting, it has not felt dull. Uh, You had you had the Nakamura stuff, the Finn stuff like it's been good. Mm -hmm. It's been a good year. Even if we're even if we want Seth to drop it, they've continued to follow it up with something that makes you like, okay, like, all right. This is, it's all right. I, I'm, I still wish Finn Balor had won, but it's not like we've been sitting here dragging doing nothing with the title since he won. It ain't like Roman Reigns right. and Cody and then, and then defending it like one time the rest of the year, two times the rest of the year. So uh, they're still getting a lot out of it. And I think they deserve credit for that.
0: Totally. The way I would like to see this go, and we can just wrap up on this, is I love that WWE has got rid of Hell in a Cell as a show, and they only yeah. use the match individually for gimmicks here and there. But man, it feels to me they could do something really cool like McIntyre and Jey Uso in another match on Raw. McIntyre gets the win. He gets a title match against Rollins. And then because there's such animosity between them, we get like Rollins, McIntyre. And I know it's close to Survivor Series, War Games. It's a similar structure. I get it. But like McIntyre, Rollins, Hell in a Cell at the Royal Rumble. Like a match like that, it, it kind of, you can create excuses for Seth to drop the title. It just feels like, this Drew character needs something like that it needs one of those kinds of moments. But look, if he doesn't win the title, then maybe it does go to what I mentioned earlier about the contract and they're not all locked up and ready to go. But man, I don't know, man, like I'm just so intrigued and so interested in Drew more than I've been in years and they are just doing a superb job with him. It feels like another situation where they need to strike while the iron is hot.
1: Yeah. And I I think they will. And I think that's I mean, we're going into WrestleMania season, so it's not going to get any hotter than this. And so you got a lot of opportunities to do some different things.
0: All right, folks, that was the main event. It is now time to break down everything else that happened across SmackDown and Raw this week. And we do that by diving into the good, the bad and the ugly. And I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez, I call a spade a spade, it just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything dude says. Same dude, to give you ice and you own some... Johnny. It's time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in the articles that I read. All right, let's kick this off with SmackDown. Paul Heyman walked into Nick Aldous's office upset. That he invited Randy Orton to the show, only to be told by Aldous that the goal was actually for Orton to officially sign with the brand, no matter what he needed to do to make it happen. That included giving him the entire bloodline in matches. Heyman immediately went on to call Roman Reigns. Pierce stepped in later, angry that Aldous was going after a Monday Night Raw legend. Pierce decided that he would make a bid for his services as well. So Orton entered in the main event with Aldous and Pierce. Fighting over him. Pierce promised a World Heavyweight Championship match against Monday night's winner. Aldous said he could give Orton the entire bloodline, which took him out. Heyman interrupted, saying there's no decision for Orton to make because the bloodline will make it for him. Jimmy Uso and Solo Sokoa immediately attacked two on one, with LA Knight eventually making the save, bringing Solo to the back. Orton ran the gamut with Jimmy and hit an RKO to end it. Orton then grabbed the contracts with Heyman screaming he saved her on Raw. Of course, he signed the SmackDown contract and told Heyman to inform Reigns' daddy's back. Aldis then entered to raise his arm, and Orton RKO'd him to end the show just for good measure. Huge pop for Knight, huge pop for the signing, huge pop for the closing daddy's back line, and a strong pop for the unexpected RKO out of nowhere on Nick Aldis. This was so fun and in character for Orton. You know, when it comes to the end of the segment, like the Viper just can't help himself. And we got to see that here. Also a good bump by Aldis, so credit to him as well. From the backstage segments through this main event, it was the best booking of the entire show, SmackDown on Friday, despite the women getting a lot more time. Orton was a much needed talent addition, given that thin roster on Fridays. We discuss it all the time. And he brought a lot of much needed energy to the show. This was an undoubted good.
1: Also, the RKO delivered to Jimmy at the end of the show. He stayed there for a while. And people may have seen those videos going around post show where they're rolling up the carpet the, the crew is. And Jim, Jimmy's still knocked out and he's getting rolled up into the carpet. Incredible sell job. Top tier stuff. Loving that. First thought is Randy Orton wearing pants. <laughs> Can you believe it? I know we never see Randy Orton wearing pants, pants with a weird vest thing and then just going shirtless showing off how jacked he has become very unusual. Randy Orton look for many uh, perspectives. Good, good promo. I like how it's set up. I thought Pierce, Pierce and all this have great chemistry together. Mm-hmm. I, I am really liking the two of them feuding with each other. And it just goes back to wondering why we didn't get a survivor series match between the sides, because Other than a free agent, there's no real reason for them to interact. And I'd love to just see them continue to interact because I think they're great. It all made sense. Everything worked. That L.A. Night pop was
0: huge. It was. That was
1: an incredible pop. Like he he hadn't been doing much, you know, the last couple of weeks, you know, and he gets that he gets a, a, a save here and the crowd's still crazy over for him. So that's a good sign as well. You're adding another star to this show, which needed it because it doesn't have Roman Reigns and Logan Paul on every week. So massive, much needed addition, made a lot of sense. And this segment
0: was good, top to bottom, loved it. It was very much a Cody Rhodes deal with Knight where you're like, this is not a great show. Why are we not getting L.A. Knight? And then you finally Mm -hmm. get him in the last like 30 seconds of the show. And it's just like, why couldn't you have had him on doing something earlier and then still brought him out later for the same type of moment.
1: Well, you don't get that same type of pop, though. I but guess that, maybe. That it, that's the type of like superstar uh, surprise type of pop. You, you save him and then you give him that moment. The crowd goes berserk for him. I'd go with a 10%. I I know, yeah,
0: I, I was gonna say I'd go with a 10% lower pop to see him twice in one show. Personally, me too. Yeah, but they don't I
1: don't he's not really doing anything right now. I know so.
0: So on that note, I'm really interested to see how they book Reigns for the Royal Rumble. He's back in two weeks. Imagine that, the champion actually coming to television. And Orton seems like a no-brainer challenger. They were supposed to fight at SummerSlam 2022, if you remember. So Orton coming back and then immediately going to wrapping up that feud definitely makes sense. They could also do a triple threat with Knight or even a fatal four-way with AJ styles involved, because again, let's not forget the bloodline took out styles and he's been gone this entire time. You got to believe that Reigns is going to be fighting at the rumble and elimination chamber in Perth. So it's possible that one of those challengers knight styles Orton is saved for one of those shows. But that is Chris, where it looks like for me, this is going.
1: Yep. And that makes a lot of sense. I was trying to think, Hey, where does Randy Orton go from here? He, you know, he he made up with Jay. Does he go to a Jimmy thing? Like, no, let's let's get right into the Roman stuff. Mm-hmm. And that is exciting. I don't I don't think a Roman Randy match is probably going to be very good just in terms of their styles. But it is a massive Hall of Famer star going up against Roman Reigns. You know, that's the type of matches he gets. Uh, at this
0: point. Yeah, I mean, but the good thing about the Royal Rumble is that can be the mid-show main event. And I know Reigns always main events, but Men's Royal Rumble main events that show frequently. So you could easily do Women's Royal Rumble to open, Reigns and Orton mid-show main event, and then the Men's Royal Rumble to close. And I think it would be appropriate in that type of spot. The other interesting note is that Knight went from working with John Cena to now working with Randy Orton. That is quite a way to boost someone and keep them hot when they're not in a title program. They're doing a real good job with him. Let's move back to Raw. Cody Rhodes opened hour three in ring gear, saying he was terrified of the poison mist as a boy seeing the great Muda use it. He talked about the Royal Rumble and said Shinsuke Nakamura has his attention, so he can either explain himself or he can just get his ass to the ring and they can fight. So the lights went out again. Nakamura appeared on the TitanTron in another produced video with subtitles, saying he first made his eyes burn and now will open them he being Cody. Shinsuke said that his story is the same as Cody's, winning the Royal Rumble, only to be humiliated losing a title match at WrestleMania. Nakamura said Rhodes has revived him and motivated him to finish Cody's story for him. Rhodes was enraged. He wanted Nakamura to prove that they're the same by fighting because he never runs from a challenge. And that was pretty much the end of the segment. I legitimately did not expect this storyline, Chris, to make as much sense as it does. Just figured they would like build something random to justify Shinsuke going after Cody, a jealousy angle, this or that. But holy shit, this has become like a perfect side quest for Rhodes. It also reminded me how badly I want Nakamura to actually win a world title in WWE. I mean, we just mentioned it a bit ago with Rollins, but that match with AJ Styles at WrestleMania and him not winning, and then the shitty, you know, ball-kicking storyline that followed that. I mean, it was such a massive disappointment. But there is no doubt in my mind that with the character work we're getting from him now, that guy could absolutely be world heavyweight champion at some point. Doesn't have to be a long reign. It can be two months, three months. I would love it if at some point in the next year, Shinsuke Nakamura got that title, one can hope. This completely delivered on both ends, created a red hot feud. I love the Muda acknowledgement as well. It was good. Yeah, Cody
1: has the... Ability to personally inject himself into every wrestling like trope and story because of his history. Mm-hmm. You know, like he grew up in the business with Dusty Rhodes. He can say, My dad invented the War Games match. This is personal to me. He can say, I remember seeing the great mood as mist as a kid. This is personal to me because it is like it's all that he he just he has that life experience that nobody else can really compare to except for maybe Randy Orton. And so you know, it was a nice way to start off the promo. I still I don't know if we're going to make the mist part of the storyline or not. I mentioned it last week how that's Asuka's thing. And it's too often thrown on Japanese wrestlers because they're Japanese. So I, I don't know if the mist is going to be the story or not. It kind of seemed to move away from that the second half of the promo. Mm-hmm. But this was uh, really good, real solid, a, a real good follow up in a way that uh, I, I, like you said, I thought it would just be some. Nothing, but they gave some juice to it. They gave some personal feel to it. And I'm excited for it.
0: So, definite good. Bianca Belair opened SmackDown thanking her War Games team and telling EO Sky she was going right back after her title. Damage Control Sans Bailey came out with Dakota Kai on the mic saying Belair had already lost two title matches and would have to go through all of them to get EO again. Charlotte Flair and Shotzi came out together saying they also wanted EO so the trios brawled. Michael Cole on commentary appropriately remarked, well, I guess War Games didn't settle anything. And that that was my immediate thought too, Cole. War Games is supposed to be the end of a feud, not the start or continuation of it. This really should be a spot for Io to go through a couple other challengers, like Mia Yim and Shotzi, before circling back to the main women. The truth is what Dakota said. Belair and Flair have both lost to EO and should be out of the picture for a bit. Zelina Vega as well. Also, Bianca has been feuding with damage control for like 18 months herself. Yeah. Now, WWE is in a tough spot because there's only 15 women on SmackDown. I did this math, okay? There's 15 women on SmackDown. Five are in the Champion's Heel faction. Three don't wrestle. So there's only seven challengers for EO at any given time. Of those, three she's already defeated and two are in a tag team. That literally just leaves Mia Yim and Shotzi. It should be their time to get opportunities before they go back to Bel Air and or Flair for WrestleMania season. But this indicated to me that title change with Io, it's probably happening sooner than later, which is what I feared. I'm going bad for this. Only because of the repetitiveness and the total lack of creativity. No one did anything wrong, they didn't execute it poorly, but the fact that we're going right back into Bel Air and damage control with Flair and Shotzi, and they just had that match, it was immensely frustrating to me.
1: Yeah, my, my first thought was like, yeah, like, wh- where are we going with this? I, it's just, we're just going in circles with the same group of people. That, like, Bianca got hurt, left, came back, and we're, we're still, like, we're still, We're still dealing with all this. And to your point, I continue to notice they're not putting EO out on her own, which tells me they don't maybe trust her on her own, which then tells me her title reign is probably not going to be all that long. I also think they seem to be maybe signaling too heavy that Bailey is kind of on the outs Mm -hmm. with damage control, you know, not coming out with her. They're just openly having this conversation about Bailey being kicked out of the group at some point, which tells me she's probably not, you know, sometimes when they lay it on that heavy, it ends up being the opposite. So I'm not totally sure, but I I just saw this and I was like, you're right. This is the time to give Mia Yim Shotzi, some other people, a title shot here and there, because then you bring back Bianca, Charlotte, give them the spotlight in, in rumble WrestleMania season. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's just kind of a lot of the same. It It is weird, like you said, you got a lot of women there who can't wrestle, but damage control from, from its founding until now, I've just, there's never been a through line with it
0: and there still isn't. And, and just to be fair, you know, Io does have the second longest WWE Women's Championship reign since 2020. And the only reason she doesn't have the longest is because Bianca Belair had it for 420 days. So you know, whatever, but it doesn't feel like it. Like it's, she's, she's not hun- defending it. She's not defending it every, all the right. time. She, she, well, she, she's has it for 120 days and she's probably defended it four times, which is once every 30 days, which is actually okay. It's just, none of them have ever felt like they matter really. Like there was the Zelina Vega TV match. You knew she was going to win that. The big matches that she's had on premium live events have either disappointed or they've ended in interference finishes. So she doesn't come across like a strong champion. And obviously she won it initially using the Money in the Bank briefcase, which is fine. It's in kayfabe. But you really want EO Sky to feel like the next big woman in the division, maybe the heir apparent to Asuka in some way, even though Asuka's there. And I don't say that because they're just Japanese. I'm talking about quality, like entering quality, ability to wrestle. So you kind, she, you kind of want yeah. that. And... It doesn't feel like we're fully getting it with EO. And again, going right back to the Bianca Belair and Charlotte Flair well, it's like, well, okay. It, it's great that she, they didn't beat her last time each. you know, Each of the last two matches, one against Belair, one against Flair. I was like, all right, here's where EO drops the title. I'm glad she didn't do it then. But if they keep fighting her, they're not gonna lose to her six times. Eventually they're gonna win and it's gonna be pretty soon.
1: Yeah, I, I'm looking through here uh just a cage match of EO's defenses. She she had the Bianca match at Crown Jewel. She had a she beat uh Charlotte on TV. She beat Asuka on a she beat Asuka on a smackdown in September. She beat Charlotte on a smackdown in
0: October. And then Zelina
1: before that. Yeah. So it's it's like there are some matches there, but yeah, since uh she's yeah, defending once episode, every so thirty days, days,
0: which is like fine. It really is fine. It just none of them feel. And, and two, two of them have been on, on uh, SmackDown. Three. I think three of them have been on
1: SmackDown. The only one that's been on pay-per-view was the Bianca
0: Yeah. One. So three of four have just been on TV. Yeah. You know? And it's just like it's frustrating there. So we had Bianca Belair against Kyrie Sane. The first one, I guess, of damage control she needs to go through. The match was announced after the break. Bailey found out that the heels went out without her. And she was upset that they didn't tell her. Now I saw a Japanese translation, or I guess an English translation of what they said in Japanese. They were actually confused, wondering why no one told her. So it didn't seem like it was purposeful, but rather like they don't care about her and she's absent. They're absent-minded when it comes to Bailey. Um, and then they basically said, "Hey, Bailey, we want you to help prepare Kyrie for Bianca, given you have so much experience fighting her." Then in gorilla position, Dakota noticed Bailey was dejected, and Io told her to stay backstage. Commentary correctly pointed out that they have no reason to be mad at her given she almost single-handedly won war games and prevented like four of them from losing war games. There was heel interference early in the match leading the referee to eject everyone from ringside. Kyrie hit a flying forearm, but Bianca blocked the back fist. Belair dropped her ribs into the barricade only for Bailey to pull her off the apron by her braid, Bailey ran in. Sane realized what was happening, gave Bailey a high five, but that delay cost her as Belair knocked her from the top rope, hitting an insane, or as she was trying an insane elbow, lifting her into kits of death for the win. Now the storytelling and the match flow here I thought was totally fine. But Kyrie was off her game in the wrestling aspect of it, and Bianca was visibly frustrated with her. That's fixable. My problem is the fact that Belair is just going to run through this entire fucking faction. like It's immensely annoying, you know it's coming. They're, they even have Charlotte Flair against Asuka next week, but like, you know how that's gonna go too. Imagine making this big a deal about Kyrie returning, bringing her back in a stadium show, then having her lose her first singles match despite cheating in the finish. Really, Bailey should have helped Kyrie win, and the group should have continued doubting her despite the fact that she keeps doing things that are positive for them, Bailey then doesn't understand why they don't trust her. Damage control, as far as I know, is the first five-woman faction in WWE history, maybe major American wrestling history. They should be dominating at least for a short period of time. I'm staying with bad because Sane should not have lost this match. Belair's selling was weak as shit. The match itself wasn't good because Kyrie was off. But really, all of it is frustrating to me from a creative standpoint. I dislike what they're doing here. Hopefully, they turn it around in a major way over the next couple of weeks. But as you can tell, this just pissed me off on a Friday night. Well, this is
1: why I was up. This is why I wanted them to win at War Games. You know, like their damage control has been since the beginning has been a faction that has a team and then a faction that has never been dominant, ever. And there's always been infighting or jealousy or this or that. And they've never felt like they were on the same page. And here you are again. you got five women. Like you said, they should be running roughshod over everybody. Mm -hmm. But because it happened at Crown Jewel and there wasn't like that much time, we had to quickly speed up into war games. You only had what, like three weeks between? It's not like it was months of or, or even a couple of months of them beating down a collection of women and eventually they all come together to fight back. It'll happen in like two weeks. So that's just, that's why damage control still doesn't click. I agree on Kyrie saying should be emphasized more. She, I mean, she barely speaks or anything. She's Mm -hmm. just kind of there. And it's, it has been a letdown in terms of the potential
0: that we know that they can do. Yeah, absolutely. So it's bad for you as well. Uh Yes. Uh, Naya Jax interrupted a Becky Lynch backstage interview, assuming she was tops on the man's list. Lynch said she owed her a receipt, and Jax said she was game after her match earlier. Shayna Baszler also got a brief backstage promo about wanting retribution on Naya. So we got Baszler against Jax. Shayna tried an arm bar literally on the top rope, only to get powerbombed. Baszler then drove her backwards Naya into the post, but Jax came back with a corner urinagi and a post shot of her own. Naya took punishment, but squashed Shayna into the ropes and hit a running senton. Baszler came back with a German suplex off the ropes, and then put in like half a Carafuta clutch, only to get squashed with Annihilator for the Jack's victory. Becky interrupted the celebration, only for Nia to get out of dodge. So two things can simultaneously be true. The vast majority of this match had zero heat from the crowd, and it sucked to see Shayna lose again. And yet, the work legitimately exceeded expectations for me. Plus, Mm -hmm. Jax was the right person to win given she's entering a program with the top woman in the business. So you need her to beat Shayna if she's going to look legitimate going against Becky. This is the right feud for Becky before she fully gets into it with Rhea Ripley, and they set it up well enough with segments over the last two weeks. Would I have preferred to see more of Lynch on Monday? Absolutely. It's frustrating that you have three hours of Raw and we got to see Becky for one total minute. You got to do better than that. But overall, Despite the crowd not caring about this for the first three quarters of the match, this was good.
1: Yeah, I was stunned that I came out of this feeling good as well. Because look, if you don't want Nia Jax to be there in any shape or form and don't want her to get pushed, that's fine. But if you're going to have her and you're going to push her, this is how you do it. And there is an interesting story to tell with Naya and Becky. You've got the smaller underdog, the larger person, but also the stories between them. Becky Lynch became what she became in in part because Naya Jax broke her nose. And that's a story you're going to be able to tell forever. You can always put Naya and Becky together and Mm -hmm. tell that story that happened. It's just it's an iconic moment. You can always come back to it and If you're going to have Nia be built up to go fight Becky, this is how you
0: do it. It's working. It it legitimately is working and the match is solid. This is a good. And they never actually got to have that one-on-one singles feud coming out of that moment because Becky was so focused on the title. And um, I think, and they were on different brands. Like it didn't really fit together. Becky Becky got concussed on that hit too. She did. Well, yeah, but I'm saying on the road to WrestleMania when she eventually won the title, they never actually got to do the Nia feud like the one-on-one feud that should stem from that. So now they're finally getting around to it and they're doing it on the road to WrestleMania. They're using it as part of the plan to not rebuild, but enhance the Becky Lynch character, getting her ready for Rhea Ripley, which of course is gonna be great. Also, the wealthy gorilla at Gorilla Business uh, tweeted us and I was writing the note at the same time he sent the tweet in, but it's worth acknowledging. Nia has legitimately improved. Like he called her really good. I wouldn't say she's really good, but she's definitely proven to be serviceable and safer, which is far more important than she used to be. And for all the criticism and hate, some of which has come from this podcast, we've criticized her. It is only fair to point out when someone improves, she has improved. Completely agree. All right. Logan Paul opened hour two of SmackDown, shoving his United States championship in the face of his haters, both those in his regular life and those backstage who doubt him. Logan said he wanted to give Rey Mysterio a rematch, only to learn that he's injured. Instead, an eight-man number one contendership tournament will begin next week, featuring Santos Escobar, Bobby Lashley, Dragon Lee, Karrion Cross. welcome back, Austin Theory, Grayson Waller, Kevin Owens, and a mystery NXT superstar. As if it wasn't immediately obvious that KO is gonna win this tournament, Owens interrupted, saying, He's known Logan as an unbearable jackass since Vine. He also said his prime drink is crap and that his days are numbered. KO admitted that Paul is clever, but said his other combat sports achievements don't apply in WWE. Then Waller and Theory came out putting themselves in the Disruptor camp alongside Logan, only for Theory to get one punched and knocked out again by KO. It didn't make sense in kayfabe for Cross to be in this tournament and someone like LA Knight, let's say, to be left out. We know the real reason is that Knight's gonna be probably elevated for the WrestleMania feud. But in kayfabe, he could have been in this tournament, gotten cheated out of a win, and that could have led to an interim feud between now and then. And as I said, Chris, having KO come out immediately, it just telegraphed the entire thing, which makes the five upcoming matches relatively predictable that they did throw a wrinkle into it, we will discuss in a moment. Also not helping matters is there's only two babyfaces in this whole thing compared to five heels Plus, obviously, there's the NXT star that can be announced. Love to see like Carmelo Hayes or Wes Lee get that. But all that aside, the segment was good, and it's a way to progress the storyline without Logan needing to be on TV weekly. Plus, we got another taste of the himbo theory gimmick, and that's starting to come back alongside Waller, and that's always a positive.
1: This was a great... Just promo between the two of them. Like like Logan Paul is a tremendous promo. Kevin Owens is one of the best to do it. And we just like they didn't have to get deep into each other like this phrasing. Uh, They just they could like lightly jab at each other and then get to the bigger stuff later when they presumably fight for the championship. It was just a nice little tease of the things these guys can do together in the ring. I love uh, Logan's comment saying. Six seconds is is uh, uh, five more than I need to KO you, And that was all a good setup. You're right. Uh, it does kind of telegraph it, I guess. And I think like you that this means we're going to get Kevin Owens probably at the Rumble then the L.A. night match at WrestleMania, which I think is a good way to do it. So this all worked. I have questions about the tournament, but for what this promo was, I liked it.
0: You know what I would love to see rather than it be a pure surprise, I'd love to get an elimination match or something on NXT for the opportunity to be in this. So it's like a way to connect both shows like you promote it on SmackDown. Hey, this coming Tuesday on NXT, there's going to be a match, a fatal four way, whatever the case, uh, maybe a gauntlet or whatever between these competitors and the winner is going to get an opportunity to join this United States championship, number one contendership tournament. Like that would be cool. I don't think they're going to do it. Probably just be a surprise person. But that's fine. We got Owens and Waller coming out of this. Logan was on commentary making fat jokes for 15 minutes. Thought he had better material than that. That, It was kind of weak. KO hit his frog splash off the apron only to get his hand stomped on the steel steps by Theory who showed Waller what to attack. Commentary later said it was a broken hand. And after SmackDown, we learned that it was like the specifics of it being a broken hand. Uh, Owens countered a rolling something into an inverted atomic drop, hit a cannonball plus a swanton bomb. Waller tried to catch Owen's hand in the turnbuckle to hit it further or hurt it further with a kick, but KO escaped and rolled him up for the win. I'm not generally a fan of roll-up finishes, as you guys know, but given he had a one-on-three disadvantage and an injury, it totally made sense given the match flow. What I thought was strange is you have both of these guys in this number one contendership tournament, yet they're already fighting here and it's not a tournament match feel like they could have saved it and done it next week and had it be a tournament match and kick it off that way. Other than that, this was good. It was
1: good. I thought Logan Paul was mostly fine on commentary, but you're right. He kept going back to the fat jokes and look, he's a heel. I get it, but I don't like doing that on commentary when Kevin Owens doesn't have a chance to like talk back to it. Right. You want to do a fat joke, do it in the ring insult Kevin Owens to his face, get the sympathy behind Kevin Owens, and he responds with something else. Like, like have the you know, man of the people type of babyface type of stuff. When you're just taking those shots on commentary, it's just negative shots that he can't respond to, and it just kind of makes him look less, you know, intimidating or, yeah, or, or it less. does. special. It does. So it, just, it takes away from the aura if you're just kind of taking those pot shots. So didn't like that either, uh, but I did like the match. I agree with you on the finish because of the broken hand and all that stuff that they were selling. It was fine. So that was good, but I I think I'm giving a bad on the commentary part.
0: Okay, a little split for you. Uh, Creed Brothers were doing squats with New Day on their shoulders backstage with New Day putting over their number one contendership win last week. Alpha Academy came in with Chad Gable giving them props and offering some training. The Creed said they were excited to have Ivy Nile to neutralize Rhea Ripley, but Gable then praised Maxine Dupree for her recent strength training and literally had her put Akira Tozawa on her shoulders and squat him, which she did successfully. Let me be clear about that. Moments later, over in the Judgment Day clubhouse, Damian Priest and the guys were clearly frustrated with it soon revealed our truth was still there, trying to get a small, old, tube-style TV to work. Truth thought he was part of the clubhouse, but JD McDonough kicked him out in fun fashion, and Priest laid down the law saying, Ripley and Finn Balor were not there, but McDonough and Dominic Mysterio needed to take care of the creeds. The crowd audibly groaned that Ripley wasn't there, which tells you how over she is right now. This was a lot of fun. It was a smart way to use some established wrestlers to give the creeds legitimacy. Plus the segment provided some context into Ivy as a character and showed off Maxine, who I gotta say, man, is straight up surprising me more and more each week. Her arms look cut as hell here while she was squatting Tozawa. And then you get truth following last week's throwaway line about a TV, actually trying to install one. If you didn't like this, you take life too seriously. I do hope that they're careful and they don't inject too much comedy into Judgment Day. I like that they do some. It makes them feel like real people and using our truth to that end is really smart. But... They are a serious group. They have a two, sorry, four champions in the group plus the Money in the Bank briefcase. They cannot be a comedy faction all of a sudden. Still, this was an easy, easy good.
1: Yeah, definite good. Love the tag team backstage stuff that they're just doing every week. Like it's just, it's fun, man. Like Like it, it, it's inconsequential. It's just to be funny for five minutes and it's working every single time. The Judgment Day point, you got ahead of me on this. I was going to say the exact same thing. Oh, okay. In, in, in which is...
0: I thought you were going to disagree with me, actually, to be honest. No.
1: I, what I want is the Judgment Day to beat the crap out of our truth. You know, like, they got to be heels. We do this for a couple of weeks. We get some laughs haha, at the heels expense and whatever. But I want them to beat him down and get some heel heat for it. You know, like, that's what they're supposed to do. Why, why are they not furiously beating them up and doing some of these other things like they're, they're, they've lost their edge. And maybe that's the storyline. Maybe, maybe they feel like they need to get their edge back. But I want to see like next week or the week after, like a serious beat down of our truth that gets the crowd that would get some mega heat on them right now, which they don't other than Dominic, they don't totally have anymore. And like you said, they're cheering for Rhea Ripley. They want her to be there. I want to see a turn back into a real, heel type of stuff when you're doing concertos to edge and Mm -hmm. and that type of stuff and beating down our truth is the easiest way to get some cheap heel heat on you for doing something so i think that's something they need to pivot to and not just kind of be doing comedy stuff around them
0: yeah i'm with you on that so we had creeds against jd and dominic truth came out like a minute into the match brutus creed escaped three amigos hitting a deadlift delayed vertical suplex julius got the hot tag and hit four consecutive toss suplexes all followed by kip-ups, which this dude is just ridiculous. Uh, Michael Cole laughed to himself that Julius wasn't even breathing heavy on commentary, which really sold how absurd his athleticism is. Uh, JD countered a Brutus ball attempt into a poison rana. Dom hit Julius with a 619 for a false finish. Brutus pounced Dom over the announce table before hitting a Brutus ball on JD for the win with a great pop coming at the bell. Later backstage, JD and Dom put over the Creeds, telling Priest he better watch out for them because they're a legit team. This accomplished his mission, which was getting the Creeds more over, and that is by far the most important thing. I still absolutely loathe the Brutus ball. They need and are capable of developing a much, much better finisher. They are way too athletic to be doing an assisted cannonball. I mean, what are you doing? You have Julius Creed doing that crazy shit and then you just, the finish is him putting a guy on his shoulders and his brother throwing his body into him. But there's no question they showed out here for a second straight week. And I am curious how they're gonna book the eventual title match because we did talk about Judgment Day needing to drop those titles sooner than later. The added element of the heels putting the faces over to Priest, that might've been my favorite part of the entire thing because that conversation is how you would expect real friends or teammates to commiserate in that spot. Yo, you just faced them. What were they like? Man, I got to tell you, they're legit. Like they could actually beat you guys. This was good.
1: Yeah, it um it was good and I, I kind of as this played out, I realized, "Oh, JD McDonough's presence in here in Judgment Day finally provides them with another lackey, someone who can take losses." Someone who can just be involved, so it's not Finn Balor having to lose with Dominic Mysterio, you know, and stuff like that. And I think J.D. McDonough just provides that extra body to kind of do it. Dominic can take losses, even though he's still a champion, and you work around that. But McDonough's filling a role here that I think they needed. The cannonball, you're right. Like, it's comparable to the Doomsday device, except the Doomsday device, like, looks you know, like a real finisher looks impactful. Yeah. This is like the least impactful finisher in the history of the world. Like you, you could, this is, it's a move you can do every match, make it your, your blue thunder bomb. Exactly. Your, your setup, your, your vintage Horton type of thing, but don't make it the finisher. Uh They have put the creeds over. Unbelievably over the past month since they've been here, they're just, they've literally beaten like everybody, everybody, <laughs> everybody, <laughs> they've beaten everybody. Yeah. So I I, I, I kind of want to know at some point, when do they face some adversity? When do they get a story? When do they, they've established now these guys are legitimate athletes. They can beat anybody. They're really good. OK, now, where is the character? We've actually gotten more character for Ivy Nile than we have for, for the Creed so
0: far. To a degree, I think that's fair. And the reason why it's not the Doomsday device is the Doomsday device is a flying clothesline where the guy that is being hit literally does an entire flip (laughs) and falls, and it it looks incredible. This is an electric chair with a guy being pushed into the guy and then just falling backwards. It's nowhere near as electric, for lack of a better uh, adjective, than the Doomsday device by comparison or similar finishers. So yes, you're right, it should be a setup, 100%, and then come up with a better team finisher I got to imagine they can do something. They're massively athletic dudes. Maybe, honestly, they got rid of a a finisher that the women were using, which we'll talk about a little bit later, but they could do like an assisted 450 because Julius is capable of doing that. There's so many things they could do. Pisses me off that the Brutus ball is what they decided to go with. Unlike others, just a quick point before we move on. I have zero problem with judgment day, like even when they get a lot of screen time, which they have for the last six months, maybe even longer than that. But one thing that was so refreshing about Raw on Monday is how little judgment day there was. They were relegated to a secondary story and really it wasn't just them. Gunther as well was relegated to it. We didn't even see him. We saw him backstage for 30 seconds in the background and also he spoke with Adam Pierce for five seconds. That was it. I thought it was great that so many other people got a chance to shine on Raw and they were able to accomplish that largely because they reduced the time dedicated to Judgment Day. Agree. All right. Uh, DIY fought Imperium in a best two out of three falls match. Candice Lorraine and Indy Hartwell wished the faces luck when the heels approached talking shit, but the ladies got the last laugh. Then Ludwig Kaiser and Giovanni Vinci kind of got in each other's head. DIY went for their finisher early with Vinci dragging Gargano out of the ring and Kaiser catching Champa in a tight roll up for the first fall. The crowd seemed absolutely dead at first but they did start chanting DIY and Johnny when we came back from commercial. The roles reversed basically the same exact way for the second fall with DIY preventing a finisher and Gargano catching Vinci in a pinning combination to even at 1-1. Kaiser then caught Gargano with a rolling Death Valley driver. Vinci hit a beautiful double jump springboard moonsault that got a great response from the crowd. There was a really too long sequence, I would say, without tagging, but they rectified it soon. Gargano countered Vinci midair into a spike DDT. And Champa hit an avalanche air raid crash on Kaiser. Vinci again prevented the finisher in a copy of the first fall, but Champa countered him into the steel steps, and DIY hit meeting in the middle on Kaiser to win the match. After the bell, Vinci blamed Kaiser at ringside, telling him to explain the loss to Gunther. And much later backstage, as I just mentioned, we saw Gunther admonishing Kaiser in the background of a segment. I don't blame the crowd for taking a while to get warmed up. The first two falls were rough as shit. Now as a match story, they were necessary and purposeful to set up the third fall. And there was a clear parallel that they were trying to do between all three falls. But I'm never a huge fan of doing a two out of three falls match just to do it. And that was proven by how forced the first two falls felt. This would have been far better as a long crescendo building single fall match. And I bet the crowd would have been hotter for it as well. That said, DIY is slowly but surely getting over. That's been needed. They rebounded from their failed attempt at not giving them the number one contendership last week in the gauntlet or the tornado tag team match, whatever that was, which I was very pissed off about. So they're getting over. Johnny's getting over individually. The fans are not popping for their entrance when they first appear, but they do pop for them once the matches get going. So now they gotta figure out a way to connect the two. They got to start developing the characters, giving them the backstage segments. And just like with Alpha Academy, when they popped in the ring and weren't popping backstage, DIY will get over in a similar fashion. This was a really good match. I'm going to say four stars and an A minus. There are people out there who thought this was the best match of the night on Raw. I disagree with that. But man, this was a lot of fun.
1: First
0: thing. Was this the new
1: song in intro for DIY or did I miss it in previous weeks?
0: This is the same one they've used for about a month since they officially reformed.
1: Okay. For whatever reason, I just noticed it more this time. Okay. I thought it was okay, but I feel like just a lot of their music sounds the same. It's generic, yeah. And and so you don't get a real sense of it. Um, Like it's a song you like use in a vignette or something to have us associate with them. Also, uh, Champa. Looking a lot less tan than he normally does, like extremely, he was very pale out there <laughs> compared to what he normally is. Uh, well, those are my first two observations. Um, but the match was really good, and I disagree with you on making the single fall. I this is a this is a these are two teams that the crowd doesn't have much connection with, so you throw in a stipulation to to give them another reason to pay attention. To make it feel a little bit different as opposed to just, you know, these two teams are having a match. No, these two teams are having a two out of three falls match. So that's something to pay attention to. And it built and built and built and had a really good finish. And the crowd was into it at the end. And I think the last couple of weeks we've seen DIY best get over mm-hmm. through their wrestling and given the time to do so. So that's a positive. Like you said, we just we kind of got to get the characters around that now. Uh, but I, I thought this was good. I thought the stipulation was good. I I thought it all worked.
0: Yeah, for sure. Except for, except for the music, kind of. <laughs> we had Butch against Bobby Lashley on SmackDown. Before the bell, Lashley talked some shit, calling Butch kid and telling him not to try to make a name for himself on his back. And then he just got punched in the face by Butch, who was pissed off about that. Commentary mentioned Sheamus, I think for the first time in months. Butch hit a great standing sliced bread, and countered Almighty Spinebuster with a kick, but immediately got turned inside out with a spear for the Lashley win. The fans cheered both of them the whole time, even though Lashley made sure to put himself on the heel side at the start. Later backstage, Butch said he didn't know why Ridge Holland walked out on him, but he was on SmackDown to fight, pretty deadly interrupted, saying his career was hitting a dead end, so Butch went after them, only to get double teamed into a road case. This was probably the most cohesive that Lashley and the Street Profits have looked together, but again, no beef abbering side, no team name, no storyline. I was at a light good, I elevated it to a full good after the backstage segment, which seemingly gives Butch an opportunity to either get over on his own against some clear heels, maybe before those returns happen, or it could possibly signal the main roster debut of Tyler Bate, maybe teaming with Butch, getting his back. Possibly that could lead to an expanded Brawling Brutes down the line. All they gotta do is give him Dunn back as a last name and we're all set. But uh, <laughs> But again, I largely enjoyed this I remain frustrated with Lashley and the Prophets, but maybe it's just this longest slow burn storyline of all time.
1: Yeah, look, I'm giving it a light bad, not because the work was bad, but just because I, I just I don't care really, and 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 I do I don't care about Lashley and the Prophets. I do think what they've what they've done with Butch the last two weeks is intriguing. And he's basically just going down fighting and like that's all he knows how to do is fight. Like that's that part is kind of working for me. But the crowd's cheering for Bobby Lashley in this match <laughs> Chir- and Bobby, Bobby, Bobby they cheered you know, for both like,
0: of them. It was equal cheers for both of them.
1: And uh, like he hasn't really turned heel yet because what him and the prophets have done isn't all that heelish. Like compare compare. Where they are as heels over months of this compared to where Santos Escobar is after like two weeks. Right, good point. They just, they don't, I don't hate them. I don't care about them. I don't know what they're doing. And so uh, I'm giving it a light bad because they are the focus of this and it's still nothing to me.
0: See, that's interesting. I thought Butch was the focus and that's why I gave it a good. But if Lashley was the focus, as you say- then I agree with you on that, but... The, the Butch the Butch stuff is good, yes. But I'm just saying, like, I, if I'm putting it together, I thought it was more Butch than it was Lashley, which again points to the fact that, like, why are you possibly using Lashley and the Prophets for a Butch-focused storyline, right? It, like, why aren't Lashley and the Prophets a huge focus of this show? It, it It's very frustrating. I don't necessarily understand what they're doing. Uh, Joaquin Wilde fought Santos Escobar in guerrilla position. Escobar said his goal was to show them the truth, and continue taking apart LWO, which Rey Mysterio started taking apart when he backed Carlito instead of Santos. Wild hit a springboard somersault tope, real nice pop, plus he had a rolling spike DDT. Escobar eventually overpowered him with a phantom driver and attacked after the bell until Dragon Lee made the save. Dragon was all over him and hit his brother's bull's horns to end it. What I appreciated most about this is how Wild looked better and got more reaction in this match than his entire main roster career to this point. I do hope that Del Toro gets a similar opportunity soon. It was also nice that Dragon Lee got immediate cheers as soon as he ran out, so you know yeah. he's legitimately over. This was good. Yeah, I, I tell you,
1: I didn't even, I couldn't tell you Joaquin Wilde's name before this match. <laughs> I just, I hadn't seen them in NXT enough to know who they were, what their names were. I did know Del Toro, but I didn't know which one was Del Toro.
0: Right, so, fine.
1: Uh you're right. This was more shine and attention on them than they've ever had before. I thought the video package with Santos was really, really well done. Um, like I just said in the previous segment, they've turned him into one of the top heels on SmackDown, like very quickly. All you got to do is be a dick to Rey Mysterio and the fans will hate you for life. <laughs> it's true. So this was good. I also don't like we speculated <laughs> when when Santos turned heel that he was going to bring. uh uh, the, the the faction with him, but
0: that doesn't seem to be happening now because he's wrestling them. What do you think? Well, it could be a situation, and we've seen this many times in wrestling, where you're, you beat down people, and then they realize, well, this guy's better than me, and right. I got to back him, and he's going to help my career more than this other guy is going to. Like, if you have Escobar beating them down and the only person saving them is Dragon Lee, and like Carlito's not helping them, etc., then maybe they decide, you know what, we should be back with Escobar because he's the one that got us to this point, and maybe we shouldn't have turned our backs on him. The other option is, we just we discussed this as a possibility previously, that they all do stay with the LWO. And Escobar, when he needs backup, brings in Angel Garza and Humberto Carrillo, who could have a similar familial Mexican storyline issue with Rey Mysterio and his family. So it could be the Phantasmas and the Garzas kind of teaming up against the Mysterios. That's like a way that they could do it as well. So there's a lot of different directions that this can go. It, I just, I mean, Legado Del Fantasma was so freaking great in NXT, and I want that so badly to be on the main roster that I do hope that Wilde and Del Toro both go back with him. And Zelina too, Zelina Vega. Um, even though she wasn't an original Legado member, she was the improvement when they moved to the main roster. But again, we'll see how it plays out. One thing I'll tell you, Chris, and I think you agree with this, They're not missing a step right now. Everything they're doing is working. Every single thing they've done, both with Dragon Lee and Santos Escobar, separately and together, is absolutely hitting with the SmackDown fans.
1: Completely agree. I'm not there on Dragon Lee yet, but I cannot deny that the crowd is. Yeah, exactly. That's been working.
0: And lastly, we had Caden Carter and Katana Chance against Tegan Knox and Natalya on Raw. Before the match, Chelsea Green and Piper Niven shit-talked Knox and Natty. Saying that Natty glomming on to Tegan, trying to revive her career, would not work. Natty said that they would win and go after the titles. They literally just lost a title match to them last week. I could not understand why this match was even happening. I don't believe it was explained. The champions were on commentary. Natty took the KCs off the ropes simultaneously with a pair of one arm power bombs. The KCs then came back hitting the handstand falling suplex splash, which is now called the keg stand and has become apparently their finisher for the win. This booking ended up making more sense given the finish, but I had a couple issues with this whole thing. Number one, why would you spotlight the losers, the eventual losers backstage when the KCs who have been badly in need of TV time could have had an interview or a promo segment or a video package, and I know they got, I think, a video package last week, but you want something where like, they're actually showing their personality. Number two, why go away from that ridiculously cool, elevated, assisted 450 splash to a finisher that is far less cool? Number three, if you're going to have the KC's win here, they should have been showcasing their tag team arsenal all match. Instead, they got like two moves in. If you remember, they had that match against Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler. They looked way better in that than they looked here. But this was seemingly done to elevate them into a number one contendership situation sooner than later. So I'm just so mixed here, okay? The right team won. I've been supporting the KC's so long that I'm thrilled they're getting elevated. But it just could have been laid out so much better to get them over more. So I'm gonna say a light good just because they did the thing I wanted them to do, which is push the KCs. But it's it's a light, light, light good. And I wanted to give it a full one, but I'm not able to.
1: Yeah, I was giving it a light bad just because I don't care en- enough about the KCs like you do because you have a much longer just history with mm-hmm. them. And like you... You're right. Like Tegan Knox and Natalia was kind of the focus of this. And that was my focus in this was because I have a greater connection with them. You know, so it was whatever. Look, like, this is this is low, you know, low card stuff. It's yeah, not the, of the course, biggest thing in the world. It um, you know, you do some tag stuff, still trying to get Tegan going. going. That, that's
0: fine. I just I really care. So light bad that's fine and and i just want to point out i didn't have a chance to play either of these sound drops on the show (laughs) i i promised both of i promised everyone i was gonna say both of you i don't know who both of you would be i promised everyone listening that i would cut these they'd be part of the show going forward and i did this is monday night meat Where else can you see two beef planets like this colliding beef planets like that All right, so we got Monday Night Meat. We got Beef Planets on the show. Certainly, the (laughs) Caden Carter Katana Chance Match isn't getting that sound drop, but I didn't have anywhere else to put it today. I'm sure we will get to it at some point in the future, but I wanted to let you all know I followed through. I got them on the soundboard. We didn't really play a lot of sound drops this week uh, just because there wasn't anything, I guess, exceptionally incredible or notably terrible, and that's usually where we use them most of the time. But nevertheless, we did just break down everything else that happened across SmackDown and Raw, in the good, the bad, and the ugly, which leads us to the final segment on today's show. The last word. So DJ, take the needle and just drop it on the record. We're going a spoon in a second. Uh-huh. That's why we always say the best cut lasts to make the scratch and niche for it like fresh-cut. Now we do have a lot of Last word questions uh, that have come in over the last couple of weeks. As I mentioned, we have a nice archive of them. I only told Chris we were going to do one, but I did see a second one come in that we could hit quickly. So we'll do two, knock them out both really quick on this show. The first one, Richard S. sent this via email. If you were a billionaire, would you start a wrestling promotion in today's landscape? So it's a good question. I actually was pleased to get this, something different. Uh, If I was a billionaire, There's a lot of other things I would do first before starting a wrestling promotion. Let me state that as a fact. I would probably begin by trying to get more billions. That'd be my focus. And then I would probably use some of that money to get a big chunk of an NFL franchise. That would be my focus. I wanna be an NFL owner, that would be great. That said, would I start a wrestling promotion? Not in the traditional sense. I would be interested in starting, and I've said this many times before, a wrestling show, something that mixed in reality aspects, kind of like an OVW with um, scripted aspects, kind of like you would get in, ah, uh, I don't know what that show is. There was a show on MTV, It's Escaping Me, was it called Laguna Beach, maybe? Or something like that, where it was yeah. it L- was supposed to be a reality hey. show, but it was completely scripted. Ripcord.
1: Yes, Laguna Beach, I'm jumping in this to say, I have cousins who live in Laguna Beach. Okay. And my, my aunt was a hairdresser for one of them, uh, one of the kids on the show. And my cousin was one time at a bonfire on the beach where they were filming Laguna Beach. And yes, they were told what to say.
0: Yeah, so you're of course. Right. So what I would love to like create is like a wrestling show that is kind of scripted reality. I've always wanted to do it, where... It's more of a focus on storylines, but in-ring is certainly a significant component as well. And whether that would be a company or whether that would be a show that uses performers from other companies, I don't know. But I'd be so much more focused on doing something immensely unique involving professional wrestling than I would be starting a promotion. That said, if there was a promotion for sale that I could buy, that is something I would be interested in. As a billionaire. So hopefully that answers the question, Chris. Uh, What are your thoughts on that matter?
1: I I took the question as basically like, is it worth trying to start another wrestling promotion
0: in? I think that was the question and I didn't answer it that way. So go ahead. Yeah.
1: And my answer to that is absolutely not. WWE is such a machine that it will not and cannot be taken down Mm -hmm. as, as we know. And I think it's just too big now. And over the last two years, we've seen leadership in this company finally realize all the untapped potential that they weren't doing. Right. And I say this, having just been at a college football game that was sponsored by WWE, like they they have taken immense steps to get into the culture In a way that they just hadn't before and in a mainstream not that wrestling hadn't been mainstream before but like in a way that they are a brand associated with it's not like it's not a wrestling company you know it's wwe Mm -hmm. it's its own thing it's like kleenex and tissue paper you know it's 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 that big so i don't think it's worth the investment if i was a billionaire would it be fun to to have a bunch of money and get my favorite wrestlers together and play with them like they were my toys. Like, yeah, <laughs> it, it would be a lot of fun. But I think what we've seen from AEW's immense rise to now where it's, it's not the new thing on the block anymore. And can you sustain that? And we're seeing that it's very difficult to sustain that. And talking with people with the big 12 who were blown away by the organization scope, professionalism and size of the way WWE works Mm -hmm. around that game is that they are never coming off of that perch. And so I I just, I don't think it'd be a worthy investment.
0: And really beyond that, which is all great points that you just made, not, not overlooking them. I don't, my, my goal, my dream has never been to own a wrestling company. It's been to be the lead creative person in a wrestling company. So (laughs) what I'd almost prefer to do is like get a big stake in TKO and then go in and be like, yo, I want to be like co-creative chief with Triple H. Like I'd I'd much prefer to do that than like start a company from scratch, sign talent, spend money. I want to create wrestling that is more entertaining for fans. And if that was like forcing my way somehow into impact and in doing that, like those are things I would like to do more so than like start something from scratch. Basically take almost the Mark Cuban track of what he did with the Mavericks, but do it for professional wrestling like that. That's mm-hmm. something that would interest interest me more um, than literally starting a company from scratch and competing. And to your point, there's only so much market there. Like WWE's is dominating. AEW does exist and is doing well. It may not be doing as well as it could or as well as it was. Different people will argue or disagree uh, one way or another on that. But you have a number one with a bullet way on top and then a distant number two. So if I was to start a company, where's that going to fall? Like maybe yes. third, maybe I could eventually become second. I don't want to be second. Like if I'm a billionaire, I don't want to waste my time fighting, uh, you know, tooth and nail to not be number one. That's not what I want to do. So look, I want to be a billionaire to quote Travi McCoy so freaking bad. If you will it, dude, it is no dream. So maybe it'll happen and maybe we'll run some creative for wrestling sooner than later. The other uh, last word question, Chris, I wanted to throw in here just came from Mason uh, Gronauer, I believe, and I'm apologized in in advance if I butchered your name, at Mason Grinauer. Uh, He said, just listen to Tuesday's podcast when you mentioned a hypothetical Big E return. What music do you think he would come out to? Because I think people wouldn't recognize his solo theme. I completely agree with you, Mason. They wouldn't. The best case scenario for a Big E return, the way I would do it, Chris, is you do the Royal Rumble. You have Kofi Kingston come out at like number two. You have Xavier Woods come out at number 15. And they both use the New Day music. And then you have Biggie come out at number 30, and you hear the New Day music hit again, and no one comes out right away. And you're like, wait a minute. And like, you have commentary. Weren't Kofi and Xavier already in this match? And then Biggie comes out. Like, and, and then like New, New Day's already been eliminated, the other two, and they're behind him, and they do this huge entrance coming to the ring together, and Biggie pops. And I think the place would go absolutely insane. So there's a double answer to your question, Mason. Uh, I would use the New Day theme, not his theme. And that's how I would do the return. I think. You could you. I
1: think you would do the new day theme because remember, with with it would start with Big E doing the ah oh, wherever <laughs> you, you know whatever town they're in. Don't you dare be like that Big E's voice. They don't use that now. They just do the right into the theme. And I think if Big E's voice hit, I think that would be a huge pop, and people would realize, wait a minute, Big E's here. This isn't regular new day. This is Big E, uh, type of thing. However, like the best way to do it is you're right. Do it in the Rumble where Kofi and Xavier are already there. So then when you get the biggie, one oh, like you complete 100% know what it is. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that would be the way to, so kind of combining both of us, I think would be the best way to do
0: it. All right, well, there you go. That is the last word. And that wraps up this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. I did forget at the start of the show to let you all know what is still coming this week. We will have... An NXT Deadline Ultimate Preview that will be part of the Thursday show, along with our breakdown of AEW. Don't have time to do an extra episode this week because on Saturday, as soon as NXT Deadline goes off the air, we will have an NXT Deadline Instant Analysis show for you. Chris's uh, participation in that, a little bit TBD. We're going to find out if he's able to watch the show live. If he can, he will join us for that episode. If not, it will be the Silver King solo. But again, two episodes still to come. Thursday, the Ultimate Preview, along with AEW, and Saturday, the NXT deadline. Instant analysis on the way out. Please remember that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is all about the five. So don't forget to leave a five-star rating for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. On Apple, if you leave a five-star rating, written review. We will read it live right here on the show, as you heard earlier. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast, not only for episode drops, news analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff, but something else I forgot to mention earlier. Chris, it is December. That means the Getting Over Awards, aka the meaties, are coming soon. So we will have nominations and voting available. And the best way to nominate people and matches and such for the awards and vote in them is by following us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. All of that to come starting next week. Lastly, please also remember, I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well, because for $5 a month or fifty. For the entire year you can become an official getting overhead just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over sign up you'll get bonus audio the fastest five minutes in professional wrestling instant reaction to raw smackdown nxt and dynamite as well as exclusive news posts every friday again buymeacoffee.com slash getting over two new members in the last week we would love to see that continue to grow that is it for today's show Plenty left for you this week here at Getting Over for Vintage Chris This is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now.